not looking good out there again. Another red day. The bubbles are showing us a whole lot of red. Let's quickly look at what happened. So we were okay. And then last night we got a big red candle. Today we're going to talk about what this big red candle is about. We also got some other big stories for you today. So today we're going to talk about ETH and why ETH is being killed after the merge. I've got some XRP news. We don't usually talk about XRP, but this news is big. So today we're going to talk about XRP. And then we're going to play a little game. And the, 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 the game's called Where's Do Quan? And the winner gets a reward. You see how, the, how, the, how we play that game? All right, so let's do it. It's going to be a massive show. This is not one that you want to miss. There's a huge alpha, and I think I may be able to tell you when this bear market ends. Don't miss the show. Get the fuck out of bed, bitch. Go. you guys do Kwan is a guest on banter today don't, don't don't put it past us it could happen it could happen anyway welcome back guys i'm back i'm back in the studio as you can see i'm not going to be here for a long time but i am back in the studio for a while so yeah i'm going to bring another big show today massive 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 show so much to talk about i was going to go live on the weekend but then uh, sheldon stole the camera to do one of his own podcasts which by the way you should go and listen to it uh, he, he does them on the sheldon deirdrick's it's his personal channel go and check it out support the guy um, absolutely amazing content. Also, if you missed uh, our shows this weekend, I don't know if you caught this interview that I did with CZ, but it was an amazing, amazing, amazing interview. Haven't seen my friend in, in months or years, actually, since COVID started. And I saw CZ in Paris at the Binance Blockchain Week. So go and check out that interview. It was actually one of the best interviews that I've done in a long time. And, you know, it's like, it's like interviewing your mate, which is like, it was absolutely amazing. So let's do that. Um, what else? Well, welcome. If you're new, obviously subscribe to the channel. You know the drill. Hit the bell notification. That tells you when we're coming live. And I'm going to talk to you today about some other times when we're going to be going live. Um, hit the bell notification. Like this content. Help us get out there. Still shadow banned. We're never going to shake off the shadow ban. The only way to, sh to shake off the shadow ban, good comments, likes, and just general love from, from you guys. And uh, I think we're all in this together, even though it feels starting to feel very, very, very much like 2017. It's starting to feel like this bear market's never going to end. You can't really see the, the light of day. Uh, it just keeps, if, if you want to use an analogy, it kind of feels like we've gone from the fall and now we've gone into the winter and it just feels like it's never, ever going to end. And this winter's going to get colder and colder and colder. And the truth is that all you need to do is survive. You need to just make sure that you survive that you keep some capital aside, that you spend more time researching now because now is when you're going to get the best deals. And just look around you. When you see other people falling off, that should be your benchmark because what you realize is that the people that are going to make life-changing money in the next bull market are the ones that manage to not only survive the bear, but use the bear market to build, to build on their knowledge, to build on their products, to build on their portfolios. That's the guys that come out of this and come out of this very, very, very strong. So make sure that you're here. In fact, I suppose if you are here 
then that's already a good sign. It shows that you've got the commitment and that you're not falling out of this race. And that's really what I want to do here at Banters. I want to make 100% sure that we all survive this. Not only do we survive this, but we position ourselves so beautifully that when this bear market ends, and it will end, because all bear markets eventually end in, in, in the whole of history. The bear markets, bear markets always end, and they're always followed by the worse the bear market, the stronger the bull market. And all our, all our mission is, and all I want you guys to do is I want, you to, I want you guys to survive, to be there with us, and when the bear market ends, to make sure that you guys are perfectly, perfectly, perfectly positioned, both in terms of portfolio and in terms of mindset to capitalize on the bull market. So that's what we're going to do. If you want to make a, a winter analogy, well, we're all going to cuddle up and do this together. What do you think? I'm going to come and cuddle me, Carl. <laughs> Don't just talk. <laughs> All right, so let's go. Let's talk about, what did you say? What is that, James? Care Bear. Care Bear. Care Bear. Meanwhile, I don't know if you guys have been watching Carl's show, but Carl's show has been absolutely exploding. Guys, you're picking up more and more and more loyal followers, my friend. Well done. Very, very, very impressed. Very impressed. Very, very, very impressed. All right, let's talk about what's happening on the markets. Um, not really the best day. Almost everything is red, except helium. We're going to talk about helium today. Um, otherwise, pretty much everything is red. I'm going to talk about why everything is red. And specifically, we're going to talk about what caused this Bitcoin red candle. And the thing is that you've got to look at this chart now and say, okay, look, if you're range trading, if you believe that Bitcoin has been in this range, and as I said to you before, when it gets to the bottom of the range, you want to be buying. And when it gets to the top of the range, you want to be selling. Well, then this is your buy signal. You're pretty much on that line and this is your buy signal. If you don't believe in the range, then you've got one more level. You've got that 17.6 level. And if that 17.6 level breaks, Kyle, back down to 12,000. Maybe 16 potential bounce, maybe. Maybe a bounce, but otherwise there's no more support. Yeah, because you know what the problem is? The problem is that we have broken down below the, the 28. 2017, 2018 high. We broke down that, that, that level and we've closed below the 2018 high. And that's quite a big level to break down from. And now the last remaining level is the low, that 17618, which is the low that we've been at. And if not, if, um, if, if we break that level, then it's down from there. We'll talk about what caused that because I think it's important to talk about what caused that, uh, especially with a week like the one that we've got ahead of us. We've got a massive week this week. And I'll, I'll tell you in a second why we've got a massive week. This week is big because it's the FOMC meeting. So remember, Powell meets this week. Uh, it's on Wednesday. We'll obviously be live with you guys when the interest rate decision comes out and when Powell actually gets to speak. We will be live with you guys. Um, but it's a big, big, big interest rate decision. And I'll tell you why it's a big, interest rate, a, a big interest rate decision. It's not only because within a 24-hour period this week, there will be 16 central bank rate decisions, including the US, UK, Brazil, Turkey, Indonesia, Philippines, Japan, Switzerland, Norway, South Africa, Egypt, and Taiwan. So all countries are talking about the interest rates within a 24-hour period. So it's unlike any other period where we just get the USA giving us the interest rate um, increases um, or changes. This time, we've actually got, you can see Carl's driving the comments because he's looking for all the Carl comments. <laughs> is a James. So within within 24 hours of uh, within 24 hours of Wednesday, there will be 16 countries announcing their interest rates, and obviously most of these countries are probably going to increase their interest rates, but they're going to take the lead from the Fed. The other reason why this is such a big FOMC meeting is because we know 
not everyone knows, but we know because we're smart, that everything that the Fed has done up until now hasn't actually worked. So remember, we looked at what made up inflation. What we realized is that everything, all the components that make up inflation, if it's services, if it's commodities, if it's food and food, if it's energy, they all went up month on month. And the only one that came down was this energy one that you can see over here. But then we also know that the reason why it came down is because Joe Biden is eating into the strategic petroleum reserves that the U.S. has for periods like this. And so, and so what's happening is the U.S. is trying to manipulate the inflation uh, numbers by selling strategic oil reserves into market and reducing the price of oil. But, you know, if you're smart enough and you take a look at what else is happening, you can see that, well, everything is going up. And soon the U.S. is going to run out of strategic oil reserves. And when it does, well, what's going to happen? Well, they're going to need to buy up those reserves again, and then the oil price is going to go up. And so what we know is that nothing that the Fed has done up until now has actually worked in reducing inflation at all. And so the expectations are right now 80% that the Fed will increase interest rates by 50 basis points, by 75 basis points. And 20% of people say that the Fed will increase by one full percentage point. Okay. So we're going to be with you here on Wednesday. Important for you to know that people are going into Wednesday net short, net pessimistic. And what we know when people go into something net one way, usually the market reverses pretty strong the other way. So if you look at all the data, the data is showing you that investors are going in super pessimistic. In fact, the last time they were even close to this pessimistic was in October 08. Okay, so that's how pessimistic people are going into it. And they're not only cutting um, underweight equities in their portfolios, but they're also doing something else. They are taking out lots of options and the options are going negative. So in other words, the put call ratio is more towards puts and calls, which means that the market is going into Wednesday's announcement negative. And so because the market is going into Wednesday's announcement negative, I'm going to put my, I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to say, I think that this time we get a positive surprise. I think that what Powell does is he increases interest rates by 75 basis points. The market is great. Amazing. 75 basis points. There's no FOMC meeting again until November. And then there's one in November and one in December. So um, let's see what, what happens. Important to know that even though Joe Biden and his administration are manipulating the oil reserves to try and reduce inflation, when he was quizzed about uh, inflation, listen Mr. to what he President, said. As you know, last Tuesday, the annual inflation rate came in at 8.3%. The stock market nosedived. People are shocked by their grocery bills. What can you do better and faster? Well, first of all, let's put this in perspective. Inflation rate month to month was just uh, 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 just an inch, hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it's good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not, you're, maybe I can 8. make it sound 7. like all 8. of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2%. It's, it's the highest inflation rate, Mr. President, in 40 years. I got that. But guess what we are? We're in a position where for the last several months, it hasn't spiked. It is just barely, it's been basically even. And in the meantime, we created all these jobs and, and prices have, have gone up, but they've come down for energy. The fact is that we've created 10 million new jobs. 
We're in a sense. This is what they call political talk deflection. So he's deflecting from the question and he's now talking about something that's positive. So he's taking something that was which is negative and he's trying to spin it. It's the easiest media training trick in the book. Where we, the unemployment rate is about 3.7%, one of the lowest in history. See, he's changed the subject completely. Where manufacturing is coming back to the United States in a big way. He's now gone to manufacturing. So what you're seeing now is you're seeing them really trying to change a narrative. This is like inflation will be transitory. This is like we'll have a soft landing. No one believes that shit. No one believes these guys when they say it. Anyway, so we're going into a big week. Um, the 10-year treasury yield climbing now almost 3.5% ahead of this big week. Um, and yeah, I mean, net. So you're talking about the S&P and the S&P is pretty much going full negative into this into these numbers. Now, I think when everyone goes into the numbers negative, that is when we turn positive. It's like, I'll show you in, in, in a couple of seconds when we talk about ETH um, and the merge and why people are hitting ETH after merge, I'll show you how the same thing happened to ETH, but in reverse. And so when people are going in negative, I think the trade is positive. And so when I go back to the Bitcoin chart, and I look at the Bitcoin chart and I say, hold on a second, it's right now on the range. I'm not saying it's not gonna break the range down, but if you're trading the range, you can kind of say if it can hold this level, until Wednesday, and then we get a 75 basis point, and then maybe, I don't know, a, a dovish pile, then maybe we start bouncing back towards the range. So again, I'm saying, if you are range trading, it feels uncomfortable to buy now. Everyone is, is feeling the pinch. Um, everyone is starting to be negative. This is usually when it's probably time to buy. Um, this is when, I, when I'd be accumulating. Either way, I'd be accumulating, because you know that the market is gonna turn at some point. And you just don't know when, but you know it's going to turn. And when it does, you know that all your coins are going to be doing 10x because we're, we're so early in the industry. And so it's just a time game. So don't try and catch the bottom. Just keep buying in. And this is probably a good time to buy in when Bitcoin is towards the bottom of the range. Someone says stonks open. Let's see. Stonks just did open. Let's just quickly look at what stonks are doing. Um, let's quickly go and have a look at stonks. Okay, so you got everybody about 1% down. You got the NASDAQ about 1% down, the DAO about 1% down. Why did these all go down? So that's what we're going to talk about now is why, why is the market actually going down? What caused the market to go down after having a brutal, brutal, brutal week last year? Last week, last week was the worst week for markets since June 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's like COVID times. So what actually happened? What happened over the weekend that caused the market to go down again, even after stocks had such a big week? Well, it all comes down to this little place over here. So you see this little, little, little place over here. You see that? Most people don't know what it is. That's Taiwan. So it's all about China and Taiwan. Now, a lot of people are asking, why is this China and Taiwan thing such a serious thing? And I think if you want to understand why Taiwan is such a serious thing, Think, let's just listen to this two-minute video. It really explains how Taiwan became Taiwan, how China, what, what, what's happening in China, and then we'll, we'll dig back into it. It's going to take two minutes of your time. I'm going to play it for you on normal speed because I know that not everyone can listen to something on two-speed, uh, but really two minutes of your life worth listening to. Both Beijing and Taipei agree there's only one China. It's over who should be in charge. It all began with the Chinese Civil War between a communist led by Mao Zedong and the then-ruling nationalist led by Chiang Kai-shek. The communists won the war in 1949 and drove the nationalists off the mainland to the island of Taiwan. Mao and his allies set up a new government with Beijing as the capital and officially proclaimed it the People's Republic of China. Meanwhile, Chiang and his followers moved their government 
known as the Republic of China, to the new capital of Taipei. Even today, both still claim to be the legitimate ruler of all of China. Although in practice, Beijing runs most of the Chinese territory, while Taipei governs the island of Taiwan and a few smaller ones around it. Taiwan is a flourishing democracy that runs itself like a country. It has its own parliament, ministry, and national and foreign policy. But as far as Beijing is concerned, Taiwan is a renegade province, and most of the world recognizes Beijing as the legal ruler of all of China. For decades, there was no communication, travel, or trade between China and Taiwan. It wasn't until 1992 that the two sides agreed to deliberately allow ambiguity when it came to questions of sovereignty. Only then did economic and cultural cooperation begin. The relationship between the two sides has strengthened over the years, and in November 2015, the presidents of Taiwan and China met for the first time since the end of the Chinese. Okay, so the rest is not really important. But what you needed to know is that originally there was an election in China. The Communist Party won the election and pushed pushed out the Democratic Party, and the Democratic Party went to be in Taiwan, and they've been running this as a democratic um, island, basically. So you've kind of got democracy over here, and then you got communism on the rest of China, and you got this one little island where there's where there's democracy. Now the U.S. has an interest in making sure that they preserve the democracy, because you know the U.S. is obviously pro-democracy, and China wants to take back Taiwan. In fact. This weekend is when it all started, where President Xi Jinping told his military that he wants to have the capability to take Taiwan by force by 2027. Okay, so that's what、uh, Xi Jinping is doing. He's now threatening to take over this island, which is being run democratically at the moment, and the U.S. is now coming back. And this is on the same interview with Joe Biden. Listen to what Joe Biden said. What should Chinese President Xi, know about your commitment to Taiwan. We agree with what we signed on to a long time ago, and that there's a one-China policy, and Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving. We're not encouraging their being independent. We're not let. That's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was. That was the big thing. So、attack. did you hear that? Where Joe Biden said, "Yes, U.S. forces would defend the island of Taiwan." That was the big turning point because remember when we were talking about Ukraine, Joe Biden said, "Look, we're not actually going to fight for them. We're not actually going to protect them. We may fund them and we may assist them, but we're not actually going to protect them." With Taiwan, it's a different story because Joe Biden now went on record and he said that the U.S. will defend Taiwan. After our interview, a White House official told us U.S. policy has not changed. Officially, the U.S. will not say whether American forces would defend Taiwan. But the commander in chief had a view of his own. So, unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women, would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion. Yes, you see that, and that—that that was the turning point. That's why the market, the markets turned, because the U.S. has gone out and said, "Okay, look, we are going to defend Taiwan if China looks to defend Taiwan." Now, this is scary because now you've got the two world superpowers starting to really start. Posturing and and play a game of chicken. When you want to understand how big the superpowers are, the U.S. has got a GDP of 20.89 trillion, and China is just below it at 14.72 trillion. But that's not the 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 real thing that you need to look at. You you need to look at China's rate of growth versus the U.S. rates rate rate of growth. And if you take this st- these statistics, and this comes from I think it comes from the World Bank. Yeah, it comes from the World Bank. What you can see is a couple of things. You can see that. 
China's rate of increase of GDP is faster than the U.S. rate of increase of GDP. So China's on the, on the up uh, and the U.S. is pretty much on the down or, or, or on the decline. And if you continue this model, you kind of say that, look, by 2027, 2028, maybe even 2029, the U.S. should hit China's GDP. So you've got these two world superpowers now starting to posture. At the same time, you've also got a war between Russia and Ukraine. And what you, what you remember is that Putin seems to be working together with Xi Jinping or with China. And so how they're working together? Well, the first thing is, you will remember that I showed you this. And this shows, that was on the one day where Russia said that they're going to stop pricing their oil in, um, in dollars. And they're going to start pricing their oil, their, their oil in uh, rubles and renminbi, which is a Chinese currency. So they're starting to price the market in, in, um, in Chinese currency, okay? Um, not only that, we've got China teaming up and working together with Russia to sell the West oil because a lot of countries aren't buying uh, oil from Russia because of the sanctions. So what Russia is doing is it's selling it to China and then China is delivering it to the rest of the world. So China is actually making a turn here because people aren't buying cheap oil. So you've got this in escalation of tensions. You've got Joe Biden and the White House contradicting themselves on what the, the policy is around Taiwan. Um, you've also got the U.S., posturing again and saying, oh, well, you know, the U.S. is going to weigh, weigh sanctions to deter any Taiwan action. Go to ask yourself a question. What does the U.S., why does the U.S. want to keep this so badly? It's such a small island. Why is it so important for the U.S. to keep this island over here safe? And I guess the answer is because China is a nuclear superpower. Everyone knows that about China. Russia is a nuclear superpower. The U.S. is a nuclear superpower. But the only way that the U.S. can attack China, one of the only ways, is through this little island over here where they can set up shop and where they can fly in their military aircraft and stuff like that. So if the U.S. gets into a battle with Thailand, uh, with China, then they need Taiwan as a strategic, uh, as a strategic hold. Um, also, I think the U.S. just wants, well, people are saying microchips, true. It's not only about microchips, it's about a whole lot of things. But the U.S. just wants to preserve democracy and the rest of, of China is, is, is communist. Yeah, everyone's saying semiconductors and microchips, that is a big, big, big industry in Taiwan that manufactures the United States. But remember that the United States is now working on a plan and a bill to move chip manufacturing more onshore, on, onshore so they don't become reliant on, on, um, on US chips. And so this whole rigmarole of these, the world's two superpowers starting to escalate tensions and talk about sanctions um, especially in a time where you've got this Russia-Ukraine war and you've got uh, Putin um, playing this game and moving uh, the pricing of Russian oil into Renimbi, um, this, this escalates a whole lot of tensions. And that's why we got this, um, this big red candle over here. In fact, when you look at the hourly, you can kind of see exactly when that interview was. So that's where the interview was, right over there. That's when the 60-minute interview came out. And bang, when Joe Biden said that, all hell broke loose. And, um, and now we are where we are. Now you can see, um, you can see the Bitcoin, Bitcoin went down and tensions are pretty high. And Joe Biden is doing his thing. That he, he does that thing where he just talks and doesn't stick to policy. I mean, we shouldn't complain because Trump never stuck to any kind of policy, right? Like Trump was like, he didn't care about any policy. Let me know in the comments if you would prefer 
Trump to be president today or whether you prefer Biden to be president today? Because now you've seen them both in action. They both have like good things and bad things. Do you tell me what you guys believe? Someone says, Ryan, don't get into politics. I'm not, but I have to sometimes get into politics to tell you when politics are, are um, affecting our markets, right? I mean, that's why the markets move. So that's why I've got to talk about politics. You'll never ever see me being a politician. That's for sure. Let me know in the comments who you prefer, Trump or, 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 or Biden. Um, let's talk about ETH. Let's talk about ETH because ETH had a rough ride ever since the day of the merge. Ever since the day of the merge, ETH has been completely obliterated. And I think we always said, we always said that it's going to be a buy the rumor, sell the merge because a lot of people were leveraged and they were leveraged long into the merge. You'll remember that I was pretty confident about a, a good merge until the last part of our stream that we covered the merge on. And then something happened. I want to play it for you. Just so you remember what I said. Um, it's this over here. Listen to this. Oh, wait, hold on. I'm getting some statistics here on GMX. Okay, hold on a second. So GMX, the total longs are double the total shorts. That's not good. That means that the longs could probably get liquidated. So that's what happened. So as like markets this week are betting on a on a negative interest rate move, which is why I'm going to bet the other way this week. This is what happened with ETH. People were net long into the merge. And the problem when, 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 you, when you're net long into the merge, and it was a, a big net long, it was two to one in terms of the ratio, then it, it usually means that the longs are going to get liquidated. And that's what happened with the ETH merge. Now, it's not because ETH has failed. And there are a lot of accusations around how bad this merge is for ETH. It's not about that. It's we had a catalyst which drove a whole bunch of long liquidations on ETH. And that catalyst was actually nothing to do with ETH. It was actually just the stock market. So remember, that's when the market turned and we had the worst day uh, that we had in, in the history, in, since June 2020. The, the Nasdaq went down like 6% in one day, right? This is, I'm looking at it on an hourly chart. The Nasdaq went down 6% in one day. Problem is that that forced a whole lot of long liquidations on ETH. And you know what happens when we get long liquidations. Well, it, what it does is it just causes this candle over here, I think. So let's, let's quickly find that candle on the 14th. Let's just actually go to the 14th. So actually, let's go to the one-hour chart. And you guys can see it on the one-hour chart. Um, yeah, so this candle over here was brought, happened because we had a very, very bad day on the stock market. We had too many longs and too few shorts. And so the shorts got, the longs got liquidated. And that brought down ETH. And the problem is that when it started to bring down ETH, it started to cause more and more and more liquidations. And it caused a cascade of huge liquidations in ETH. And now you've got ETH trading not only at, at a low for, some, for quite some time, $1,300, but you also, if you look at ETH relative to Bitcoin, this is when the merge happened over here. And you can kind of see that ever since then, ETH relative to Bitcoin has gone down a lot. I kept saying this. I kept saying that it's going to be a buy the rumor, sell the merge type scenario. We said that... Um, uh, and also I said to you that I think there's a, it's a time to start going back into Bitcoin because too many people were along the merge. I hope you took that right. I really hope that you took that right. Anyway, now let's move on and look at whether this FUD is real on ETH. And if this FUD is not actually real, then it's probably a great buying opportunity because ETH is oversold. If you believe that the FUD is not real. And so what you got to do is you've got to look at the FUD. We know what caused it. The stock market was the catalyst. Too, too many people were long. The longs got liquidated. More liquidations cause more liquidations cause more liquidations. And now we find ourselves here. So now let's debunk the funk. 
let's debunk the FUD, not debunk the funk. Let's debunk the FUD. So there are three categories where people are criticizing ETH. And I know Miles is going to do a stream about this later, so make sure that you tune into Miles' stream. But let's talk about the FUD. There are three categories of FUD that people are now throwing at Ethereum. The first one is they're saying, well, you said that ETH would be deflationary after the merge, and it's not. Okay, we'll address that. There's also FUD around ETH now being very centralized because it's moved to proof of stake, right? And if ETH is moved to proof of stake, and the majority of the, of the validators in proof of stake are centralized, well, then ETH is centralized. So we'll talk about that as well. And the last thing is Gary Gensler now calling ETH a security. Okay? So let's look at all of those things and actually analyze them and then make a call as to whether we're buyers at this level or we're sellers at this level. That's what we've got to decide. So let's look at it. The first thing is let's look about the deflationary nature of ETH. In fact, before that, let's take one step back and just congratulate the ETH devs for pulling off the biggest software upgrade in history. The biggest software upgrade in history happened by what is probably the biggest bunch of most talented developers in the world. Pull, pulled off a feat, merging proof of work and proof of, stake on, of, and proof of stake on the second biggest blockchain in the world in motion without a single hiccup. We have to take our, our hats off to the Ethereum developers. And if that's the case and they pulled it off without a hiccup, then we have to back these people to do pretty much anything. They've got to be the smartest people in the room. So let's start off with that in mind. And now let's go and attack the things that people are attacking ETH with. First thing is they're saying, well, listen, ETH is not deflationary. You told us that when we move from proof of work to proof of stake, ETH is going to become deflationary. That was one of the things that they promised us, right? So I got this on ultrasound.money, and you, you can see the supply change since the merge. And the supply change is 3,091 more ETH are in circulation. But that's not deflationary. That's, that's inflationary. 3,000 more ETH have been here since the merge. Why? Because when the merge happens, the ETH emissions were reduced by like 99%. And they, instead of reducing so many Ethereum to reward the proof of work miners, they now produce a very small part of Ethereum to reward the proof of stake miners because the proof of stake miners aren't using as much electricity. So the theory is you don't have to reward them as much because they're not using as much electricity. At the same time, you've got EIP-1559, which is the protocol that burns ETH with ETH transaction. So if you're releasing a very small amount of ETH and you're burning a lot more than that, then you kind of think, hey, well, this thing should be deflationary. That's what everyone's saying. Now, I found this little switch that shows what happens if ETH was still on proof of work. If you click it here, you'll realize that 53,000 ETH would have been minted into circulation. Okay? But because we are in proof of stake, only 3,000 ETH have been put into circulation. So why isn't ETH deflationary yet? The reason is because we're not doing enough transactions for EIP-1559 to burn enough ETH to make it deflationary. And the reason why we're not doing that, that many transactions is because we're in a bear market and there's not much interest in crypto. And if there was that interest in crypto and when the interest comes back, this thing will be very deflationary. And so I urge you all to go to ultrasound.money and just keep toggling between stimulate proof of work and what's actually being issued. And eventually what you realize is how deflationary ETH has become. Don't fall for the FUD because what the FUDs are trying to do, they're trying to make you believe that ETH is still inflationary. It's only inflationary because no one's transacting at the moment because everyone's lost interest because we're in a bear market and that's just the way it is. 
Cool. So that's the first bit of FUD debunked. Second bit of FUD is that the validators are centralized. And if you look at this, this is the top seven addresses that are contributing to the ETH validators. So the biggest address is Lido. The second biggest address is Coinbase. I think that this third address is Independence. And I think this fourth address is, is, is um, Kraken. Either way, what you can see here is actually sounding quite scary. And that is that over 50% of the validators on the network now fall within Lido, Kraken, and Coinbase. Much scarier than that is that Kraken and Coinbase are both domiciled in the US. And if the US wants to impose sanctions on Ethereum or on Tornado Cash, well, they can approach Coinbase and approach Kraken. And when they do, Coinbase and Kraken have to do what the US government tells them to do, right? That's quite scary. But then you've got this third entity called Lido. And Lido, whereas it may feel centralized, is a completely decentralized protocol. So if the US wanted to serve a summons or a subpoena on something, I don't know where they'd serve it if they went to Lido. And so even though the critics say that ETH is, is now centralized, it's not because this is a decentralized entity. And so I don't think, again, I think that that is just another little bit of fat. And remember the third bit of fat is Gary Gensler claiming that ETH is going to be a security or that ETH now after the proof of work, after the proof of stake um, adjustment now becomes a security. And I think he's just being Gary Gensler. He's trying to, to take control of Ethereum and everything else. Um, and I think that it's garbage and I don't think it's gonna fly. And I think we should just ignore it. So that is the FUD. We're not gonna fall for the FUD. Um, you can see the people are saying, look, now Ethereum's got a Nakamoto coefficient of two, whereas Solana's got a Nakamoto coefficient of 30. I think it's gonna take time, but over time, we're going to get a much broader range of ETH proof of stake validators. And the reason why that is, is because this whole thing is new. We've only just moved to proof of stake. People haven't set up their validators. And in time, I think it will become um, decentralized. I also confirmed that with CZ. So if you go and look at, at the video that I did with CZ, I spoke to him about that. And it's really a good video to be going to see. Another thing which is really worth watching is this near protocol. You've got to watch this video you'll land up buying more near protocol after you watch this video and you should because wow what i saw in lisbon last week was absolutely mind-blowing we'll talk about that tomorrow when there's not so much else to cover because i think today we've got a lot of we've got a lot of stuff to cover and remember we've got to play a game today and the game is where's do Kwan? like where's wally we're going to try and find where's do Kwan. we should have a game like that and just put a whole lot of people on it like can you find do Kwan? okay let's carry on we've got so much more to discuss um you know, one thing that really, really, really caught my eye this weekend was this. It was this over here. Because when this man speaks, I listen. Okay. When this man speaks, everybody would listen. So I'm going to switch off the music so we can all hear this man speak. And rest assured that when he speaks, token prices go up. But only one coin, as he says, is going to go up. It's not going to be every coin. So what is this coin? That's the question. If I had to choose just one coin, one coin, and put millions of dollars, all my money, into just one coin, which is not a good idea, you should spread it around. But if I had to, if I had to right now, it would be XRP. There are people like that. 
if I had to choose just one coin. That's one XRP coin. TikTok fee. But we have to talk about XRP because something significant is happening in XRP. Um, you saw a little bit of a little, a little price spike in a bad market on XRP. It went from 31. It's now 35. Um, let's talk about um, what XRP is and why. Why? Is, um, why is XRP pumping at the moment? Well, the reason why XRP is pumping at the moment is actually quite big because both Ripple and the SEC have asked the judge to expedite the ruling on the, X, uh, on the XRP, whether XRP was a security when it was issued. So they've kind of said, look, we've given the judge as much information as we possibly can. Both sides have given as much information as we possibly can. And actually, both, you see, both Ripple and the SEC filed for what they call summary judgment, asking the judge and Elisa Torres to make a ruling based on arguments filing, uh, filed in their accompanying documents. So basically saying, look, guys, we don't want this to go to trial. Now the side wants this to go to trial. We've both given the judge a lot of information. And now we want to make, we want to have a final ruling in the XRP case. And so we may get a, a ruling in the XRP case sooner rather than later. And on the balance of probabilities, it does feel like Jay Clayton, before he left office, took a punch at XRP. And after that, it just feels like the, XRP, the, the SEC was fighting this battle and they didn't actually want to fight this battle, right? That's kind of like what it felt like. In fact, I think I have an interview for you guys with Jay Clayton, which was actually a really good interview. Um, I'm not sure if I have it though. I don't have it. Okay, anyway, bottom line is they have asked for a summary judgment. Both sides want a summary judgment. That means we can get a, a judgment sooner rather than later. Also, we had Ripple teasing about some kind of CBDC announcement, central bank digital currency announcement. And what they were probably implying is that Ripple is going to be assisting some government with a central bank digital currency. That's kind of what we heard from Ripple. Now, my suspicion is that even if there is a CBDC, I don't think it's going to be built on the XRP ledger. I don't think, you get that, I don't think that we're going to have a, a CBDC which is going to be built on a blockchain where XRP holders have to use their XRP. So I think what's going to happen is if there is a CBDC announcement, it's going to be by Ripple, the company. It's going to have nothing to do with Ripple, the token. So that's why. But I mean, look, truth is, as I said, when this man speaks, who is this guy? If I had to choose just one when coin, he speaks, one coin and put millions of dollars, all my money into just one coin, which is not a good idea. You should spread it around. But if I had to, if I had, you know who this, you know, you know, okay. Cats out the bag. You know, no, you know who this guy is. Look, I, I actually, I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want, I didn't want this. I didn't want this to come out. It's been two years since we started banter and you know, we've managed to keep Fred, Completely, completely, completely anonymous. But I think it's time now. I mean, it's time now to tell the world who Fred is. That's him, the Guys, I want you to meet Fred. This is Fred. <laughs> you can see, you can see Fred's gone home. He's going to gym. He's not. He's not listening to the show because he would jump on to defend himself. All right. Um. Ooh, lots of other stuff happening. So first of all, is Doquan on the run? Can someone please tell me whether or not Doquan is on the run? Because I've looked at all the other news sources and I don't actually understand whether Doquan is on the run or not. So here's what happened. The Korean government, the Korean um, um, law enforcement issued a arrest warrant for Doquan for violating securities uh, regulation. Now, that's the first step. The second thing they need to do is to report it to Interpol and to try and get his passport almost banned so he couldn't fly with his passport. So that's what the Korean authorities have tried to do to Do Kwan. Now, Do Kwan is, had, has reported, okay, uh, Do Kwan has reported that he's not in the run. 
Okay, he's, he's saying, look, you know, I'm not on the run. I'm actually cooperating with uh, the regulators. But they're saying that he's on the run. So, you know, South Korean authorities have asked Interpol to issue a red notice for Do Kwan. Red notices are issued for fugitives wanted either for prosecution or to serve a sentence. Okay. He says, look, I'm cooperating with the authorities. And he tweets, he says, dear Crypto Twitter, I'll tell you what I'm doing and where I am if we are friends, if we have plans to meet, and if we are involved in a, GBA, in a GPS-based Web3 game. Otherwise, you have no business knowing my GPS coordinates. So I'm going to Singapore next week. And a lot of people said that he actually is no longer in Singapore. And I think that's because Singapore and Korea actually work quite closely. So now it's going to be very interesting to find out where Doquan is. When I'm in Singapore next week, because I'm going to watch the Grand Prix and I'm going to Token 2049, I know I'm going to meet a lot of you guys there. I'm going to try and hook up with Doquan. And then I'll let you guys know whether or not I've managed to hook up with Doquan. Deal? Cool. Deal. I'll send, I'll send a photo if I manage to meet him. He will meet me. Okay. Um, what else is there? I said that I would be buying GMX if it goes under $40. GMX is now under $40. The question is, am I all talk or do I actually have the balls to start buying GMX? Um, I should start buying. I'm going to start. Oh, it's 40. It's 40.5. So under 40, I'm going to start buying some GMX. Why? They had a little bit of an exploit this weekend. It wasn't really an exploit. It was just someone playing the system. Very smart, high played the system. He was trading GMX. And on GMX, you, got, you don't have slippage. So he was trading on GMX. And he was manipulating the price of GMX using centralized exchange of, of uh, Avalanche using centralized exchanges. So he was driving the price down on centralized exchanges and trying to buy it back cheaper. And that was the exploit. And that's why this whole thing went down. I'm going to start buying GMX. If it goes down below $40 and you see an ape filling his basket, that ape is me. Okay, so you know, don't, don't be surprised. That app is, is actually me. Um, okay, I think that's it for today because we've been talking a lot. Um, see, someone says Doquan is not currently in Singapore. Doquan, then Doquan is not in Singapore. Wow. All right, listen, guys. Um, it's been amazing being back. It's, it's been a great show. We've covered it so much in the show. If you're still here, smash the subscribe button. Join the, join the fam. Join the channel. Give us one more like send this video to the moon remember that if you are if you're looking to become smarter than everyone around you really 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 two videos that i would recommend is this one over here uh it was me meeting my friend cz which i haven't seen for three years and go and look at this near protocol video you just have to watch it tomorrow we will go through a whole lot of opportunities here um actually let's talk about one more thing one more thing because i'm also going to invite someone to talk about you there is one token that's actually gone up here and that's helium. So you see, if you look here, the one token that's actually gone up here is helium. Reason why helium is going up is because helium was really hit hard when they proposed that they would move the helium chain to Solana. I was following, I'm following this vote and it looks like 90.89% of the helium community actually want to move to Solana and 9% don't. This has got two days remaining. So tomorrow I'm going to get the people from Solana and helium onto the show. Um, and then you guys can make a call. But I think this is quite a, quite a good buying opportunity. All right, so listen, love you guys madly. See you guys again tomorrow. Until then, have fun, trade well. Love that. See you guys again tomorrow. Until then, have fun. Trade well, my friends.
Fun. They weren't happy when I took you off your stream this morning. No, I see the messages. Yeah, people saying I'm abusing Kyle. Yeah, they're complaining. They don't know how much I love you, bro.